Okay, so I'm nervous as anything. Um, I have... <laughs> no, no, I need something stronger than water. Um, I'm so excited because I invited 70 people here this evening, and seven came. I reckon that's a good percentage, 10%. So I just, while they're just getting everything sorted out, I mean, a friend of mine, Frank, from years gone by, has come all the way from Somerset West, and then... There's uh, a friend of my wife from years gone by. They worked in a lottery company together. Years gone by, Paula Ackerman and my two friends at uh, Good Hope Christian Church. They some of the elders in Good Hope Christian Church, Victor and his lovely wife, Gail Masondo. And then my friends, Errol and Jeremy and Lee are here as well. And it's so good to have everybody here. And I also met a couple from Durbanville. You know, so this, uh, I think it's two sisters. Uh, you're the youngest one. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I just met them as well. So I'm, I'm so, I feel like the Pope today, you know. Yeah. Big pizza. Cut it in four. Give to the people, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about, um, about being here and, and sharing my testimony. Very overwhelmed, completely and utterly overwhelmed. Um, being able to share this fantastic thing that's happened to me. And just our journey, my health journey and just my own personal journey, my walk with God, you know, so um, I was born at a, at a very young age, and <laughs> rumor has it I was very close to my mother at the time. I've prepared some notes, I've written everywhere in this book, so give me a moment. On, on Wednesday, I was trying to think of a, <laughs> I was trying to think of a chorus, I really wanted to sing at Com Group, you know. And uh, I'm thinking, I've, I really want to sing a chorus, man. You know, and we were having a wonderful time of prayer. And the only song that came to me at the time was, Say, Kurabosi, will you Hey, I tried, man. I tried. And this is all that came in. That's all that came to my head. And I just, I kept singing the thing in my head. And I'm saying, Oh, Lord, give me a good song to sing here. Nothing came except Say, Kurabosi. And then this morning I was praying, and uh, specifically for today, and trying to think of a song, and, and it came to me yesterday, and Debbie said, no, you can't sing that song. So forgive my voice, okay? It's a little bit husky. But the song that came to me was written by a guy called Neville D. And it went like this. Forgive me, but it goes like, um, My God is God van nieuwe dinge, nieuwe dinge, nieuwe dinge. And it goes on to say, Hey, Mark, alles niet. Hey, Mark, alles niet. My God, hey, doen, hey, doen a nieuwe ding. And it just means to those of you who are English, who are supporting the Queen, <laughs> is that my God is doing new things every day. And I'm really, really excited about that. So I've been, I've been a part of um, a part of a, a, a a few churches since we arrived in Cape Town 27 years ago. And in um, the last three years, it's been, I've been in a, not in the wilderness, but rather I'm, I'm, I'm focused in on God and really loving, loving the Lord. But I felt in my own self, God's never far from us, that I was just a little bit far from him. But I came to Josh Jen a couple of months ago because my wife kept hacking me, babe, you've got to come. You've got to come and meet these people. You've got to come and meet Big D, you know. And uh, I thought I had to, <laughs> and eventually, 
<laughs> walking in here, I, I just, I just, it just rekindled my passion for God again. And I'm so, so excited and so excited for the way forward to come and come and share from you guys, to learn from everybody in this congregation is wonderful. Let me read a scripture quickly. I put, hey, isn't it wonderful to bring a Bible to church and not your phone? Hey? Isn't it awesome? You guys can try it sometime. It works wonders. Okay, so there's just two scriptures I want to read for you guys quickly, and it says here, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, says Jesus. But if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And it goes on to say, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. What it simply means is, in my life, is that for you, the easiest way for you to share God is to share your testimony. And you should be called up at a moment's notice and said, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your walk with God. You should be proud. Stand, it's not about a, when, when Kim prayed this morning, I could see she was shy, but she got it out and she said, that's all I've got. But that's fantastic. That one word, that one line, it just means a lot. Your testimony is important. You know, my, my life before Christ was a very checkered one um, in that I would, growing up, there were always people in our house. And we lived, firstly, before we moved here, we, were, we lived in a six-bedroom mansion. It literally was a mansion in, in an area called South End. And then the apartheid laws came and took us away and moved us into an area called Beverly Hills. It's not Beverly Hills the way you think Beverly Hills is. But it's rather, it's very similar to Lavender Hill where you lived in a one-bedroom place. And all five of us lived in one bedroom. We had a bedroom and you had a kitchen. There was no lounge. So you came from that into that. And there were always people around, only to discover after a few years as I was growing older, is that my dad was a gang leader. He was a gang leader of a, a, a group of thugs called the Black Shirts. And everybody always wore black shirts. And I could never understand this. But fast um, forward a few years, and uh, there was a, a, a gospel band my brother played. He was a drummer and it called Alive. And uh, Avril and Jeremy might remember that. And uh, they did an altar call one day. And my dad got up and my dad walked to the front. I was like, look at my father. He must be drunk. What did he drink? Where is he going? I wasn't a Christian back then. I went just to support my brother. And he walked up and he went to accept the Lord as his Savior. His walk with God is his business. But I was stunned, you know, that my dad, after his checkered history, had got up that day and walked to the front and accepted God as personal Savior. Um, a few a, f a few years later, there was a band called New Song, which is part of Youth for Christ, and I, I followed my brother just to help him with his with his drum kit and set it up and everything. And we were in Utenag. And on Tuesday evening, it was a Tuesday evening in June, at seven thirty four. After their concert, that I gave my life to the Lord. There's a guy that led me to the Lord. He was so earnest and he was so genuine about leading me to Christ that I was, I was blown and thankful that he, that because I was a complete introvert as I am today, you know, and he led me to the Lord. Needless to say, 
I don't know if it was me or whatever happened, but a few years later he ended up in a mental institution for six or seven years. And, um, but he was a wonderful guy and, uh, that I remember. So my walk with God then after that, after accepting Jesus as my Savior, I, uh, I sat there in the hall in Newton and I thought, no, what happens now? There, were no, there was no lightning bolts. There was no fanfare. There were no hand claps. There was nothing of the sort. And I thought, oh, where do we go from here? You know? And, uh, and I didn't know. So I went to youth. And the guys at youth were amazing guys. Every Friday night after youth, we'd go to the Roadhouse in Port Elizabeth. And we'd go chow something good burgers. Those of you who remember Port Elizabeth, they're still there. And, uh, but they'd talk about God. And I couldn't participate. And then I heard little things, you know. They talk about something. I'd go back home and I'd go read a little bit in the Bible. And, and so my journey began. Those two guys are here, Avril and Jeremy. They were here. They're here. And they were there at the time. And they were leaders of note. They were so committed to God and committed to, to the people who, who wanted to become Christians. And I and I'll always appreciate them for the things that they did, not just for me, but for all young people at the time, you know. And uh, so my, my walk with God has been since 81, and it's been awesome. It's, been, it's had up and downs. Listen, being a Christian is not easy. Let's just put it out there. It's not the easiest thing. You, you get attacked. I'll give you, thank you very much, Eric. <laughs> And those ups and downs, they happen. And the, the important thing is to be based. Just base yourself in the Word of God. When you're struggling, go to somebody older. Eric, is going to be a little bit difficult for you. <laughs> go, to, go to somebody more mature, someone in, in that's been in, walking with God for a long time, and sit down with them. And don't be shy to, to open yourself up to, to somebody and, and, and just talk about who you are. You don't have to, you know, tell them about your past. And sometimes people focus so much on the past that there's so much in our future that goes ahead. We've got so much to live for, you know. We've had bad experiences. We've all had bad experiences. But there is so much that's coming up, that's coming ahead of us, you know. So, so be encouraged when you, when you go through those moments. Anyway, my story goes fast forward to my health, which is why... why why I'm standing talking here, is that in April last year, I was sitting on the couch. Let me just see, my notes are all over the show. So give me a minute. <laughs> so I was, in April last year, I was sitting on the couch watching television, and suddenly I just got tired. I didn't know, I was sitting. I'm not an exercise person. I don't, the only exercise I do is jumping to conclusions and pushing my luck. That's it, you know? And... Uh, but I, but I was sitting on, the, sitting on the couch, and I just got tired. I was gasping for breath. I was, like, I was asthmatic as a kid, and it went away. But I started asthma because I'm not wheezing. And I, I want to call Debbie, but I'm too tired to call. I'm like, can't get her to. Um, I just couldn't get a name out. But I just sat there. I, was too, I couldn't get up and walk to the room to go lie down. Um, and this progressively got worse. Eventually, on Father's Day in July last year, um, my, my son from Johannesburg and his wife, and then his girlfriend, his fiance, they took me out for Father's Day. And I called Jason, my other son. There he is. Wave, Jay. <laughs> my son, I took them aside. We went for a short walk. And I said to them, guys, my, my health is deteriorating. At that point, I felt like I was going down at, at warp speed. Um, and my son was getting married in November last year. And I said to them, I don't think I'm going to make Jesse's wedding. 
you know, I don't feel that my health is getting that any stronger or it's stabilizing, but I feel like I'm going to die, you know? And I cried in front of them. I wept. I felt like a muhu, man. But they understood. So Jason is a bit more sympathetic or empathetic or he's sympathetic. And he grabbed me and he put his, my, I put my head on his shoulder and I was crying. Um, Jesse said, um, Dad, is your, is your insurance up to date? <laughs> That was the east side. That was the east side of things, you know. But I was, <laughs> I was truly feeling, I, I, you know. And then we went back home and things, and then months in the, in the, and we then tried to get into hospital to try and find. I'm not on medical aid, so we wanted to go through the government system, but it proved to be really difficult. So went to my GP, and every time I went, he was charging us a lot of money, and I eventually I couldn't work anymore because I couldn't I couldn't walk from here to. To, to, to where you guys are sitting. I couldn't, um, if I sat up straight, I'd be, I wouldn't be able to breathe. If I lie down, I can't breathe. I can't walk to my bedroom because I can't get there. I can't go to the loo. I wait for a wee until I'm like really, I'm really desperate. And then I'd get up and then it's, it's like a drag, you know. I'm dragging myself down to the loo and it was just, it was just chronic. I was just at a point where, I just couldn't do this anymore. My son got married, and I remember, I don't remember much of the wedding. And that's what I do remember. Because the wedding went by, and I said to Debbie the evening, I said, I can't remember. Just after they did the speeches at the reception, I went straight to bed. I couldn't sleep, but I couldn't sit there any longer. I'd get tired sitting up at that point. I was in a, in a really bad state. Fast forward as we go, and we went up to, wait, I put some slides together. Huh? Can you hit the button there quickly? I don't know what's coming up. Hit the button. Hit the button. No pressure, Karen. Hit the button. And, and I forgot. I put some photos on this thing to show you guys and to keep you entertained. And we are ready. Anyway, I'll keep talking. And um, so at my son's, at my son's wedding, um, I have vague memories of hitting my head against a tree. I have vague memories of saying one or two things. I'd, I actually made a, I prayed for them. Thankfully, they made a, we, a wedding video, and I could actually um, just remember and go back. And we've watched the video about 50 times. I think Debbie, Debbie can mouth the words of everything. And uh, she just loves weddings. Anyway, you okay, bud? And uh, okay, it doesn't matter. Can someone just assist that, that guy there, please? And um, so my my life then sort of just just changed at that point. We had taken a trip up to up to Durban, a friend of mine needed a car taken up and I couldn't drive. And to me, the trip up to Durban was literally an opportunity for Debbie and myself to be together because I did not think I was going to make Christmas at that time. So we made it to the wedding. I didn't think I'd make Christmas. And we'd pray and we, we'd, we were driving up to Durban. Debbie drove most of the way. And we were driving up to Durban and, uh, and every time I'd, I had to stop because I was vomiting. I'd vomit between two and five times a day. And this was going on since October. I could keep nothing down. We didn't know 
Was it tomatoes? Was it cheese? Was it oranges? And you just start eliminating all these things and nothing, it's, it's none of that. You know, and it was chronic because I'd sit, talk to people and even in com group, they used to come to the house on Wednesdays. I'd sit there and I'd just get up and I have to go and, and out it came. So it was, a, it was a very tough thing for me to try and understand and going backwards and forwards to, to hospital was also a very, very difficult thing because, oh my gosh, okay, wrong slide. <laughs> next. Uh, next slide. <laughs> Please, quick. <laughs> sure. Anyway, <laughs> and now that I've, <laughs> I've got the slide there. So anyway, so the, the whole thing with the hospital was quite, um, was quite a big thing in trying to get in and trying to get some treatment. I couldn't afford the private doctors anymore. But uh, if I can just backpedal quickly, one of my, one of my most incredible people, one of the pillars of my strength um, through this process has been my wife. The picture you see there is the first day I saw her, okay? I, we were working on the doulos together. I was at the bottom. She was at the top. I saw this woman and I said to my friend Quentin, I'm going to marry this girl one day. Now you have to understand, the Group Errors Act and the, um, and what was the other thing? The Immorality Act was in place. So I couldn't marry. I'm a colored oak, by the way. I know my accent is really white. <laughs> but but I, was, I never knew I'm going I'm to be able to get this because she was dating an Eastern Province rugby player. But that's the exact day that I saw Debbie for the first time. And she just mesmerized me. She was outgoing, she was, she was vivacious, she was talk, just talkative. She never stopped talking to Chlubi, who I knew very well, and I just wanted to talk to her. So that is, that's my wife, Debbie. What's the next slide? I can't remember. Oh yeah, that was just before we got married. That was the night at all, yeah, the first time we kissed. <laughs> it was quite a thing, so um, that was the night. At my ex-girlfriend's birthday party. How's that? Hey, style, hey, style, brother. You gotta, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. I think Frank took the photograph, if memory serves me correctly. Anyway, so that's the night it all happened. So, and, she, and she's just been amazing through this entire journey. So anyway, we, I ended up in hospital. And uh, being, in, being in hospital, we went, first went to... Um, we, uh, the blessings then just started flowing. Because as we had gotten to, to see the, endocrino the, the cardiologist, the cardiologist had quoted me a sum of money. So they quoted us, I think, 9,000 rand just to do an echocardiogram. And what an echo is like an ultrasound when you go and have your baby sorted out and you can have a look and see if it's got feet and, and all the fingers work. And so that's what um, they do. And the guy only charged 1,000 rand. Now you must know that to get to see this guy, Dr. Horrock, there's a three-month waiting list, okay? He saw us in 24 hours. We were in Durban. We caught a flight, came back, and saw the guy the next day. He made a way for us. So instead of the 9,000-something rand, we got an invoice for 1,000. That's a blessing. We get in. He says, Andre, I don't know how you're walking. I cannot understand how you're walking with your heart in this condition. And if you had to see his report, I'm writing a book, it's all in the book, you was all buy it, eh? <laughs> it's going to come out shortly, just have patience, I know you're excited. <laughs> anyway, so he checked and he said to me, Andre, I don't know, did you come in a wheelchair? I said, no, I didn't. He says, you should not be walking, you know? And uh, he immediately said, if you were on medical aid, I'd put you in the hospital straight away. A week later, 
I'm sharing with a friend of mine from another church that we were in. I'm sharing with him and saying, well, I need to get into hospital. We didn't, we just shared the story. And, you know, Debbie shares everything she did share in this church, but for those who haven't heard the story, the guy then said to me, what's it going to cost for you to get into a private hospital to get your treatment? You know, because uh, doc, Dr. Horrock said, you need five days in hospital so that we can give you specific medicines to try and help you grow, you know? And the, the quote that was 50,000 rand. Now, I mean, I don't even have five rand 20. So he says, don't worry about it, Andre. I'll pay. Let's get you to hospital on Saturday morning. So off we go to hospital. And he pays 50 grand. I'm like, you know? And that evening, the, the, there's some detail in between. That evening, they rushed me off to Kutuskir Hospital. I said, Andre, you are in too bad a condition for the amount of money that you gave us. It's going to cost you hundreds of thousands. And they then shifted us into Kutuskir Hospital, which is the best thing I could have done. Um, is there another photo after that? Yeah. That's, sorry, that's just us getting married. I had to put it in there. That was in 1990. Anyway, so we ended up at Kutuskir Hospital. And it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. And then that's when all the needles started. There were needles in here. There were needles in here. Needles in here. I couldn't, I couldn't pee. It was, it was quite difficult. And, um, but we, we just kept going. You know, we just kept going and just trying to see that something happens. And I was in ICU for eight days um, and eventually came out. And I was feeling a little bit better. But, and then my, my health just sort of went down. Um, I remember in, in February and March... It was, it was this year, I, I honestly thought I'd die. Um, because I was lying in bed with my daughter, and she was, she was lying there next to me, and she, she had tears in her eyes, and she battles with emotion. So she just had like this, all this water in her eyes, and I grabbed her, and I pulled onto me, and I said, hey, honey bun, you can cry, it's fine. And she just let it out, and she cried. You know, she said, I can't lose you, Dad. You know, I said, well, we've had a great life together. You know, at that point in time when you're so sick, you can't think further than your nose. Nothing else matters to you. Nothing else matters. But you know in my heart, my daughter's not a Christian, and my daughter knows the passion that I have for God as well as that of my wife. The two of us really, are, uh, we try our best to, to exude Christianity and, and just to show God in our lives, you know. And, uh, and she, she looked at me and she just said, Dad, I, what am I going to do without you? And I said, listen, just look after your mom. I, I was that sick, February, March. You know, um, and, and I was just stunned at, at, at why there are people older than me that are okay. There are people older than me than worse illness, and they are okay. Why am I, why am I feel like I'm dying? I was, I was totally and utterly um, just taken up by this thing of, as a Christian, I, I, I shouldn't be dead. I've got too much to do. God has got a plan for me. God has got a plan for me to move forward. God has got a plan for me to bless others. God has got a plan for me to share my testimony with others, to share my life with others, you know. And at this point, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to call somebody up. I'm going to call Debbie up. Debbie writes in her journal every day. Well, not every day. She writes regularly. And on the 7th of January, she wrote something in a, in a, in a journal, which I really like her to share. So, and she's the most... In, She's the most incredible prayer warrior. Debbie prays for me, man, like you can't believe, you know? And, uh, and even you'll see how blessed she is because even when she walks up here, it's like she's walking on a blessing. You know, she, she, puts her, she puts her blessing shoes on and she's going, boy. 
She's, I mean, just look at her. She's the, the messiest chef in the world, the messiest baker, but she loves me, and that's all that happens. That's all that's important, you know. Come on, baby. Debbie Blichnode, everybody. Can I have another slide? Karen? Uh, an another one? Another one? That's me and my daughter. When we, the day we were lying, when I thought we were dying. And the next one? Oh, that's me also very sick. The next one? There we go. There we go. There's Debbie. Okay, so this is what I wrote. It comes from a song. It says, You're my strength and shield. I have confidence you go before me. You're my deliverer, and I never walk alone. Every hour, every minute, you have always been there. You are faithful, and you always will be. In every triumph and in every failure, you are loyal to me. You are my inheritance. The words of this song just express the God I serve. I am living right now in a crisis with Andre's health and life. I need to know God is with me in every hour, every minute of every day. Sometimes the tears just flow as fear of losing Andre creeps in. I want to be strong and I want to believe God is doing a miracle. But sometimes when I look at Andre, my heart just breaks. To watch him suffer and walk this journey is so difficult. He throws up at twice a day. He has no energy. He has no drive or motivation. Lord, give me the patience to walk this journey with Andre. Give me grace not to complain, but to do things around this house with him. Thank you that you have finally sorted out his UIF, and thank you, Lord, for always coming through for us financially. I truly have seen you as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Now, Lord, I dare to ask you to see Jehovah Rapha, our healer. I know you can do a miracle in Andre's life. You alone can heal his heart in an instant. But I know that you're doing so much more than just physical healing here. Father, you are shaking the foundation. You are stripping the pain of the past and doing so much emotional healing. Lord, I want to break the curse of genetics and heart failure over my husband and my children. I saw last year and in 2020 how you started to break curses over my family. Continue that, Lord. I ask that this curse too will be broken and that Andre will live to see and enjoy our grandchildren. May your favor be upon us for a thousand generations, for my children and my children's children. And so I wrote that on the 12th of January this year. As you can see, I have a healthy living, breathing husband walking next to me. But we, we were, at, so since between now and Kritiskia, uh, between then and now, we've been at Kritiskia, I don't know, once a week, twice a month, so many times, I don't even know how many times. Because they were working Andre up for the transplant list. So we've had to go through a million gazillion tests, all of which have come back very positive. That yes, he's a good candidate. Yes, he's a good candidate. And then last week on Wednesday, I think it was, um, 
they told us that uh, at their meeting on the Monday, they've decided that Andre is not a worthy candidate for the transplant list and that he will not be considered for transplant. So, yeah, that's it. But I was relieved and I'm telling you why. I'll give it back to him. She nearly stole my thunder. <laughs> let me just take you back to Tuesday evening. Um, anyway, let me just quickly go back to April. Um, we went in for a checkup on April the 7th. But Debbie said, just take a bag with just in case. Because I was still struggling at this point with the whole vomiting issue. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep properly, being up all the time, constantly running to the bathroom. And I couldn't, I just couldn't, I just, I was tired. Um, couldn't sleep properly, couldn't eat properly and scared of everything, but I was picking up weight and my stomach had got quite big, my legs had got quite fat, and it was all full of water. So eventually, we went for the checkup and they kept me there for two weeks in ICU. And then they decided now they, they've got to put a tap in here. Actually, Avril's daughter, who's a nurse, said, just have them check out, I forgot the name of this, what's this word? Ascites, yeah. So they make a hole in your stomach here and they drain all the water. And they drained eight liters of water out of me. It looked like apple juice. And apart from the water, I was also on water tablets. So I'd lost 30 kilograms in seven days. So I was, I was in, in quite a bad state. I couldn't walk properly. I'd, I'd pass out in the middle of the night if I'm walking to the bathroom because now you're on the water tablets so you've got to rush to the loo all night. And you're still continuing to do this. And, uh, and, uh, but my system was totally, totally out of whack. Um, and thanks to people like yourselves, when after Debbie shared, um, here in church about my, my health um, for praying for me and for sticking with me and for the com group, for Julian's com group that came to the house every now and then and they'd pray for me and uh, I'd have to run up and get to the bathroom and, but there was constant prayer not just from the local church but from my friends around me um, my friend Gail and Victor they would constantly send me WhatsApp messages amen, they're prolific with this WhatsApp it just keeps coming and there's scriptures and there's songs and from friends overseas, there's just songs and scriptures and, and people would be praying for me. And, I, and, and it started giving me a positive vibe into... Ooh, what a, got it, got it, I got it, I got it. I'm there. There was, um, there was just this constant um, um, prayer for me and I started feeling better coming out of hospital and going home and... And my friends would come and visit me and, and they would just pray for me and they would talk to me and just keep me company and give me positive vibes. Anyway, fast forward. I was so tired of needles by then and having blood drawn, not getting results, having invasive surgery, gastroscopies, colonoscopies, any coscopy you want to think of, I got it. You know, all this part of getting a new heart and getting the heart transplant done and getting put on the list for the transplant and then discovering there's no list and then... So eventually on a Wednesday, as Debbie was alerting to, they called us in and, uh, and we were sitting in front of the doctor. One night before, on Tuesday night, we were at Sunningdale. The guy, Jonathan, was preaching and he asked a simple question. He said, ask the person you're praying for how they want you to pray. Shucks, man, that was quite a thing. And I said, to, I said to Dylan and his daughter, I said, and there were other people praying for me. I said, one, one lady is also here. I'm not going to embarrass her. 
She couldn't get close to me, so she put her foot on my foot as well, just to get close to me, you know. But, and I said to them, I do not want a new heart. I want God to restore this one, you know. And that's what I want. I want God to restore my current heart. I don't want to come out because my dad was a gangster and I get a gangster's heart and I come out fighting. I don't want to fight with anybody. No, it won't happen. It won't happen. I'm just joking. But, you know, and um, I'm, I'm painfully aware of, of that. And, and they prayed. And I just remember my heart getting hot, man. On, on Tuesday night, it really got hot. And uh, anyway, we went home and, and we were rejoicing. And Debbie and myself were rejoicing. And then Wednesday, when we got to meet with the heart transplant team, they said to us, they're not going to give me the heart. Both Debbie and I were quite relieved. We went, sure, that's a relief. I said, well, what do you mean? Because the automatic thing is, we're about to give you a heart, and we're not giving you a heart. That could affect who you are. We're saying, no, it's fine. You know, we shared with them the testimony of the night before, where, where, where we prayed specifically that we'd, I would keep my heart. Now, if I live for 24 hours... 24 days, 24 years, it doesn't matter. What I do know is that God is walking with me, you know. And this scripture came to mind two weeks ago at a, at a different com group that I joined. And it's something, you know, when I was a, when I was a young Christian, the first thing, you, when you become a Christian, you, what's the first scripture they teach you? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And the second one, I asked the guys that come, there were different scriptures that sort of made an impact on their lives. But this one suddenly came to mind. Now, it's always important for us when we, um, when we quote scriptures, just take it in context. You know, look at the context, read a few chapters, verses before and a few verses afterwards, just to get context. And one of the second verse that, I, that I'd, I'd learned as a young Christian was this one. <coughs> Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Now this is the verse when you take things in context. This one says, This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. What a positive affirmation from God. To give me that scripture and just to read a little bit further. Today I stand here and I'm trusting and believing that I'm healed. There might still be a problem with my ticket. And I never used to live like that. I'm saying, you know what, guys, I'm going to die anyway. So I'm just going to live it out. But now I'm believing for the future. And there are people here today that I believe are ill, but are too scared to stand up and say, hey, I've got a problem. You've just heard my testimony and where we've come from. When I couldn't walk, battle to walk, battle to, to sit up straight, battle to lie down, battle to breathe, battle to get into the bath, get out the bath. And I really struggled. But I sit here today because of people like you that have prayed for me. I am thankful. I am so thankful for people like you that have invested your own personal time in someone like me. And in others. I really am. And when you say to somebody, when you see they're sick and you say, I'll pray for you, mean it. It's too often that we say, I'll pray for you, and we walk away and we've forgotten about the person. We maybe you drop them a WhatsApp, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? But is the concern there? When you say to somebody, 
I'm praying for you. Mean it. You know, it's, it's very, very simple. The last words in my book that I've written say, my story continues. God's not done with me. He's definitely not done with me. And I'm, I'm excited. And I wrote this down as well. I found this somewhere this morning. Very simple in our lives. Be Jesus to others. That's who you are. Being Jesus to others. Show others that Christ is in your life by the way you live. Don't be a Christian on Sunday and Wednesday and the rest of the time we just try and shift our way through it. Just be positive. Be Jesus. Let people see Jesus in you. And I remember that when I, when I was working and this one lady came up to me and says, hey, there's something different about you. Really? I said, yeah, and I share with her. She says, that's what it is. You definitely show 